It's the 24th of June in the year of our salvation, 2007. This is the Feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, and you're back with Father Z and another podcast. Today we welcome back as our guest, our frequent guest, St. Augustine of Hippo, who died in 430, the great doctor of grace. He's going to talk to us today about St. John the Baptist, and uh, particularly appropriate on the Feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, which also happens to be uh, one of my name days. I like to claim all the Johns, but John the Baptist, I think, is really the one I focus on the most. We're also going to be hearing about the beautiful hymn uh, given by the Church to ornament uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, especially Vespers, in this wonderful feast day. Let's get right into our work. Today we're going to hear part of Sermon 288 of St. Augustine. It was preached in Carthage on the 24th of June in the year 401, and it was the feast of St. John the Baptist. Now we have several sermons of St. Augustine on John the Baptist. Uh, a few of them uh, really don't deal very well with the Baptist or you know, the occasion of his feast. Some of them are a bit rambling and so forth. And uh, obviously, some of his sermons were preached while he was away from Hipporagius and out on the road. But this sermon uh, is just one of two sermons that Augustine preached on the very same day. He also preached sermon number 293b. He preached that one in the afternoon, and he mentions the sermon, uh, part of which we're going to hear. Now, what is going on in the sermon that we're going to hear? And we're going to be starting, I think, with paragraph 4 and then going on to the end. Augustine is talking about the relationship uh, in the economy of salvation of John and Christ. And to get at what, he, what these two great figures mean to each other, he describes John as the voice which gives utterance to the word. And to make this understandable, he talks about how a word or a concept is first in our minds or hearts before we give it voice. And then once it becomes a voiced word, others can benefit from it because the voiced word then enters into our minds and our hearts uh, through the voice. So it's the voiced word then which enters into our 
minds and hearts and changes us in a way. And so for Augustine, this is a parallel to the mystery of the Incarnation. And the Incarnation, of course, is a concept absolutely central to all of his preaching. So uh, let's move into the sermon. I also want you to listen uh, to something at the very end. Augustine, he kind of riffs on the idea of light. And uh, the phrase, uh, the very famous phrase of St. John, Illum portet crescere me autem minui. He must increase, I must decrease. Well, Augustine makes an interesting connection with the calendar, with the seasons of the year. So listen to that as we move into uh, this selection from Sermon 288, preached in Carthage on the Feast of St. John the Baptist by the great Augustine of Hippo in the year 401. Ex sermonibus Sancti Augustini Episcopi. Si possim, adjuvante intentione vestra et orationibus, dicere quod volo, puto quia gaudebit qui intelliget, qui autem non intelliget ignoscat homini laboranti, Deo supplicet miseranti, etinim et quod locor inde est, Inde unde locor inest cordico dicam, sed vocum ministeria laborant ad If I am able, with the help of your attention and your prayers, to say what I wish to, I think that those who understand will be delighted, but those who don't understand must please pardon this man as he struggles, and plead with God to show mercy. Indeed, what I am saying comes from there, too. What I am to say is in my heart. But, providing the service of the voices needed to bring it to your ears is hard work. So, what is the situation, brothers and sisters? What is the situation? You have certainly paid close attention. You certainly understand now that the word was in my heart before it provided itself with a voice in which to reach your ears. I think everyone understands that, because what happens with me happens with everyone who talks. Here I am, already knowing what I wish to say. I am keeping it in my heart. I am seeking the service of the voice. Before the voice sounds in my mouth, the word is already being held in my heart. 
so the word has preceded my voice, and in me is first the word, afterward the voice. To you, however, for you to understand, first comes the voice to your ear, so that the word may be introduced into your heart. After all, you would be unable to understand what was in me before it found a voice, unless it were in you after you heard the voice. So, if John is a voice, Christ a word. Christ comes before John, but with God. Christ comes after John, but with us. It's a great mystery, brothers and sisters. Pay close attention. Open your minds to the greatness of the matter again and again. You see, your grasp of it delights me, and makes me much bolder in my approach to you, with the help of the one whom I am preaching. Such a little one preaching such a great one. Any sort of man preaching the word who is God. So with his help, I am becoming much bolder in my approach to you, and after first outlining this idea of the distinction between voice and word, I am going on to suggest what follows from it. John was cast in the role of the voice, but symbolically in a mystery, because he wasn't the only one to be the voice. Everybody, you see, who proclaims the word is the voice of the word. What the sounds from our mouths is, you see, to the word we carry it in our hearts. That every devout soul that proclaims it is to that word of which it is said, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This was in the beginning with God. How many words, or rather, how many voices are produced by the word conceived in the heart. How many preachers were produced by the word abiding with the Father. He sent the patriarchs, he sent the prophets, he sent so many and such great ones to proclaim him in advance. The word abiding sent voices, and after many voices sent in advance, the one word himself came as in his vehicle, in his voice, in his flesh. So gather together all the voices which preceded the word as into one man, and lump them all together in the person of John. He was cast in the symbolic role of all of them. He alone was the sacred and mystical representative or person of them all. That's why he is properly called the voice, as the sign and sacrament of all voices. So, now observe the significance of, He must grow while I must diminish. Observe, if I am able to express it, may I be capable, if I may not say of suggesting, then at least of thinking in what way, on what principle, with what intention, for what reason, according to the distinction I have stated between voice and word, the voice itself said, John himself, he must grow while I must diminish. Oh, what a great and wonderful 
sacrament. Notice the person of the voice, the person in which all the voices were represented, saying about the person of the word, He must grow, while I must diminish. Why? Just think, the Apostle says, We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when what is perfect comes, what is in part shall be laid aside. What is perfect? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's perfect. Let the Apostle Paul also tell us, who, since he was in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal to God. It is this one, equal to God the Father, this word of God with God, through which all things were made, that we shall see as he is, but at the end. Because now it's what the evangelist John says, Beloved, we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. Beloved, we know that when he appears we shall be like him, since we shall see him as he is. This is the vision promised us. It is for this vision that we are being trained, for this vision that we are purifying our hearts. Blessed, he says, after all, are the pure in heart, since they shall see God. He showed his flesh, showed it to his servants, but it was in the form of a servant. Like his own voice, among the many voices he had sent in advance, he also showed them his own flesh. The Father was being asked for, as though the Son himself, who is equal to the Father, could already be seen as he is, he was talking to his servants in the form of a servant. Lord, Philip said to him, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. He was looking for the end of all his aims, the goal of the progress he was making, which, when he reached it, would leave nothing further to be required. Show us, he says, the Father, and it is good enough for us. Good, Philip, good. You understand perfectly that the Father is enough for you. What's the meaning of is enough? You will look for nothing further. He will fill you, satisfy you, perfect you. But see whether this one you are listening to might not also, perhaps, be enough for you. But hardly all in his own, since he never departs from the Father. So let him answer Philip, who wants to see. Have I been with you all this time, and you do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me, has also seen the Father. What can be the meaning of Philip, whoever has seen me, has also seen the Father? But haven't you seen me? Is that why are you, you are asking for the Father? Philip, Whoever has seen me has also seen the Father. You, though, can see me, and you don't see me. I mean, you don't see me as the one who made you, but you can see what I was made on your account. 
Whoever has seen me, he says, has also seen the Father. How, if not because in the form of God he did not think it robbery to be equal to God, so what was Philip seeing? That he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant made into the likeness of men, and being found in condition as a man. That's what Philip was seeing, the form of a servant. Philip, who was going to be free to see the form of God. So John is the person, plays the role of all voices. Christ is the person of the word. All voices must necessarily diminish when we are promoted to seeing Christ. The more, after all, you make progress toward seeing wisdom, the less need you have of a voice. A voice in the prophets, a voice in the apostles, a voice in the psalms, a voice in the gospel. Let this come. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we see him as he is, you don't suppose, do you, the gospel will be chanted then? You don't imagine, do you, we are going to hear the prophecies, going to read the letters of the apostles? Why not? Because the voices fall away as the word grows, because he must grow while I must diminish. And the word, indeed, neither grows in itself nor falls away in itself. In us, however, it can be said to grow when we grow by making progress in it. Just as light grows in the eyes when it is seen more fully as their sight improves, while it was seen less, of course, when their sight was failing, and there was less light in sick eyes, there is more light in healthy eyes. While in itself the light neither diminished earlier on nor grew later, so the service provided by the voice diminishes when the mind makes progress toward the word. Thus it is necessary for Christ to grow, for John, on the other hand, to diminish. This is indicated by their respective deaths. John, you see, was diminished when his head was cut off, while Christ was exalted, he grew, as it were, on the cross. It is also indicated by their respective birthdays, because from John's birthday the days begin to be shortened, while from Christ's they are once again increased. Hoc eorum indicant passiones, nam Ioannes minutus est. Jesus capite. Christus exaltatus est, crevit tamquam in cruce. Hoc eorum indicant natales dies, nam a natali Ioannis incipiunt dierum detrimenta, a Christi autem renovantur augmenta.
That was Sermon 288 of St. Augustine, preached in 401 on the Feast of St. John the Baptist. And there's a delightful little part there at the very end where Augustine matches John, uh, the birth of John and the birth of Christ up to the summer solstice and the winter solstice. And the connection here is that wonderful phrase, Illum portet crescere me autem minui, from John 3, uh, verse 30. Uh, John, as the symbol of diminishing, and Christ as the symbol of increasing, is matched up very nicely with the two solstices, when the days begin to get shorter, and in the winter, on the winter solstice, when the days begin to get longer. Well, we've just barely moved into summer with the summer solstice, and now we have the feast day of the birth of St. John the Baptist, one of the only, uh, one of the two figures other than Christ actually to have a feast for uh, their nativity, the other one, of course, being the Blessed Virgin Mary. So important was John that they celebrated also his birth. And it was important for them conceptually, too, for this, this connection of light. Even in, in, in common practice, if we look at the old uh, ritual, the old Rituale Romanum uh, before the council, there was a wonderful uh, blessing of a bonfire on the feast of St. John the Baptist. And it was done outside the church. And the prayer, the prayer is lovely. It says this, O Lord God, Father Almighty, unfailing ray and source of all light, sanctify this new fire, and grant that after the darkness of this life we may come unsullied to thee who art light eternal, through Christ our Lord. And then they sprinkle the the sprinkled the bonfire with holy water, and the clergy then would sing the famous hymn for St. John the Baptist, Ut Queant Loxis. This is a beautiful hymn. Let's hear, let's hear Ut Queant Loxis. Ut Queant Loxis, extremely important for our history of music because it's the Utquant Loxis that gives us the names of musical notes in the system called solfege. And you probably all know what solfege is from even uh, just from the sound of music. When Maria teaches all the children how to sing, she uses the, the scale do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Well, that comes from what Guido d'Arezzo did in the 11th century. He took this hymn, uh, Utqueant Laxis, and he divided up the lines of the first stanza, divided them in two parts, and uh, took the first syllable of the first word of each part in a line. And so he got Ut, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, and those were the six notes 
of the medieval what we call a hexachord. They didn't have they didn't have a seventh note in the medieval hexachord. It wasn't until later, and so they got the seventh note from the first two letters of the name Sancte Ioannis, C. But that was later on uh, renamed to T because there was already one of the notes was already named with a sol with an S, so they they renamed the C into T. And so we have ut quiant laxis, re sonari fibris, mi gestorum, fa molituorum, sol ve poluti, labii reatum, sancte Ioannes. And that's where we got the names for the notes in musical notation for the medieval hexachord. Ut quiant laxis, re sonare fibris, mi day here at the Sabine Farm. Uh, nice and sunny and warm, and uh, I'm not missing Rome too much right now because I've been making myself some Italian food along the way, and I know how to make it. And uh, out on the deck I have some wonderful jasmine blooming right now, and uh, when you walk around in Rome, especially in the evening, you catch these, these wonderful whiffs of jasmine from plants on people's terraces and in their windows and along uh, doorways growing all over Rome. And also, my strawberry patch is producing very nice strawberries, and that's uh, one of the things you can enjoy in Rome at this time of year. Although the height, the real height of strawberries in Rome is on the Feast of St. Philip Neri on the 26th of May, but still, they're going to keep going for quite a while now. I've had a couple guests already who have come and visit and come to visit me at the Sabine Farm. Uh, who are very, very welcome. And uh, it's been nice here, and I think I'm probably going to strike out on some travels here real soon go to some different places, but coming back always to the Sabine Farm. I hope you're coming to visit the blog and leaving comments. What does the prayer really say? WDTPRS.com. That's Whiskey Delta Tango Papa Romeo Sierra. This is Father Z signing off, wishing all of you and yours a wonderful continuation of your summer. Summer's here, I'm for that. I got my rubber sandals, got my straw hat, drinking cold beer. Man, I'm glad that he's here. It's my favorite time of the year, and I'm glad that he's here. Yeah.